From Korea, I'm Amira Jiwa. And I'm Duncan Griffiths Nakanishi. And welcome to Korea's Workshop Podcast. Every two weeks, Workshop breaks down one essential business topic and explains how it could be useful for you. Our goal is to get you just the right amount of info to help you apply what we're talking about to what you're working on. I'll be speaking to experts with practical tips and founders with relevant experience. And I'll be explaining essential terms and summarizing the key takeaways at the end of the show. Today's topic is an essential driver of any business. That is the people behind it. Specifically, we're talking about the interviewing process and how to set one up that identifies the very best people to join your team. If you're running a small business or startup, your current interview processes might be pretty informal and something you just come up with on the fly. But everyone that we spoke to about this topic emphasized the value of structured, intentional interviewing. A lot of smaller businesses and companies don't believe that they need to have a formal interview process. They think that, you know, they can feel it out from their gut or take someone for coffee or a beer, you know, in the before times. And I think that's definitely a mistake. So I think there are two things that are critical. One is a conscious acceptance by the founders that hiring is going to eat up huge chunks of their time, that it can't be an afterthought, that this is something that probably shouldn't be as time intensive as building product, but close. I think the biggest mistake that gets made in recruiting talent is to not be intentional, to not having thought about what is it that I actually want? What is it that I actually need? First up, here's Nora Jenkins Townsend, whose specialty is HR for startups. Nora headed up HR at Canadian startups Wealth Simple and FreshBooks before founding Bright and Early, a consultancy focused on workplace design. I'm a little biased, but I believe people are the most important and the hardest thing to do well. You know, you can run code, figure out why it doesn't work, solve it at the end of the day. The numbers add up or they don't. People are a lot more difficult. I think, you know, the things that end up keeping founders up late at night are like end up being those people issues. So your focus is on startups. What tends to be the startup approach to hiring and, you know, what kinds of things can you help them with? I think there's a good case for, you know, when you are under 20 people to bring in those folks that are, you know, risk takers, that are builders, that are, you know, fine taking on things with, you know, no particular agenda or structure that are willing to get their hands dirty in that. But where I see founders really start to fail and struggle on this is still trying to find those people or having the expectation that everybody will behave like that beyond that phase. I talk to a lot of CEOs and founders who you know, are at maybe like the 30 or 50 person mark. And they're saying, hey, everyone we hired used to be, you know, nobody would ask me about career paths and nobody would ask me about, you know, a raise and, you know, nobody would complain to me about this. Like, where are all those people now? And the thing is, is that the person who joins your company at five people, it's just not the same as the 50th person. Like the 50th person, the 30th person, they have expectations. They want to know where their career is going. They expect benefits. They expect some process in place. And where should a company that wants to put some of those processes in place start? So what I like to say is don't invite people over to a messy house. You know, you want to work on your existing team first. So make sure that, you know, you've had discussions, maybe like some speakers or training. You know, you've reviewed your policies. You've looked at your systems of, you know, how people are evaluated job-wise, how people are paid. Make sure that, you know, if you have some benefits in place, that they're thoughtful for different types of people. So, you know, have you thought about parental leave? Have you thought about, you know, different types of caregiving arrangements? And then, you know, just making sure that you 
have some things in place so that, you know, anyone who's in a position of power, whether it's you, your managers, or who's making those career decisions for people, that they understand, you know, the power dynamics and bias and things like that. Because, you know, we can recruit all the folks that we want, but, you know, if we're going to, you know, bring them into a poor experience, you know, A, that is, you know, awful for them. And B, you know, we're kind of wasting our time because we're bringing people in that, you know, aren't going to, you know, be happy or succeed in this environment. And when they've cleaned up some of that mess, what is the first thing that they should do when it comes to interviewing? A real inventory of this particular role and what the expectations are. You know, even doing research, talking to other people who are in this role of what's realistic, you know, making sure that you have a a good vision for what success looks like. And then, you know, aligning questions around that. Make sure that your job descriptions are inclusive. So you can use tools that, you know, analyze the language in your job description and tell you whether it's it's gendered or will appeal to a certain type of person. Textio is one good product for that. But overall, just be aware of coded language. Like a lot of startups will have language about like talking about like sports or drinks or ping pong and like, you know, realize that you might be, you know, sending out coded messages about, you know, who's going to belong at your company. Okay, so they have that clear and unbiased idea of the role that they're hiring for. What's next? Having a specific structure that every single candidate for the process is going to follow. So make sure that they're all going through the same thing. You know, so you've lined up like, hey, it's an interview with Sally and then, and, you know, an interview with Duncan. And, you know, here are the specific things we're looking for. You know, give those people questions, give those people training. Everyone thinks that they have, you know, this incredible gut for hiring, but we all have our inherent biases. I've been, you know, hiring professionally for, you know, probably 15 years. And even I, at this point, have learned that I absolutely should not trust my gut, that I need to have that formal process. And what it does is it, it gives you a way to, you know, compare people and, you know, their experience and what they bring and, you know, what you can bring to them on very equal terms. So if we ask them all the same questions, for example, we know, you know, how the different answers compare. And if we know specifically what it is that we're looking for and, you know, how the questions we're building align to our values and align to this role and what we really need from it, and we're being thoughtful, we're just more likely to have success. Um, Anything else that smaller companies should keep in mind as they think through, you know, setting up the interview process? This is a sales process on your end too, you know, and, you know, as much as you love your company and you love your startup and you completely get it, you know, you want to hire people who are, who are into it and passionate, but at the same time, you need to have a few selling points of like why they should work there. And, you know, definitely do some market research to make sure that you're competitive on, you know, not just the salary side, but also everything else that goes into a work experience. Our next guest, Alien Lerner, will pick up on exactly that aspect of the interviewing process, the idea that can play an important role in building your employer brand. Aileen is CEO of Interviewing.io, a mock interview platform for software engineers. Aileen started off as an engineer herself and then moved into technical recruiting for tech companies. Many, many small companies are taking their cues for how to conduct a good hiring process from giants like Google and Facebook and Microsoft, despite their hiring practices. And the reason they're actually good is because they're strong brands. People know that smart people work there and they also know that there are cool projects to work on that are very impactful. And no matter what kind of terrible hiring process any of those companies have, because of those reasons, they will have a revolving door of candidates. Their process in many ways could, could be a coin flip. It could be you know, making candidates run in circles. It could, like, it could be a bunch of arbitrary things. And at the end, because they have such a good supply of candidates, as long as their selection process is slightly better than a coin flip, they're going to win long term. 
But smaller companies don't have that luxury, right? Because no one's heard of them. They don't have the brand. So how can smaller companies compete for talent? One of the ways that smaller companies can really stand out from larger ones is making the process feel personal. If you think of hiring as a funnel, which it is, every time a candidate passes one stage in that funnel, so let's say they did well in a technical interview, they become much more valuable to you because for that candidate, there are like 20, 100 other candidates that didn't get there and you still invest the time in those. So the opportunity cost of, of losing that candidate gets higher and higher and higher the further they get. Hey, butting in with the first definition. Opportunity cost refers to the potential benefits a business misses out on by choosing one option over another. After they pass a technical phone screen, that's already really valuable. Then after they pass an on-site, wow, and they, you're about to make them an offer, extremely valuable. You've made them an offer, right? Even more. So you need to carve out time, just like you did to kickstart your recruiting process. You need to carve out time to make the candidates that are moving through your process at various stages, but have already succeeded at you know passing one or more, feel really, really valuable. And that could just be having a phone conversation with them and finding out what matters to them, what their concerns are. Sometimes you can't match large companies on compensation, but you can do other things. Make sure that they feel like they're seen and that they're potentially going to be really, really impactful and, and that everyone's excited about them joining. And what about those interviews themselves? What I recommend to companies is think about what interesting problems you've solved in the course of doing your job. Take those problems, start some team Google Doc or whatever shared doc, doesn't matter, somewhere, and list those problems where you solved something, your team solved something, you're proud of what you did, it was counterintuitive in some way. And then once you have that list, go through those and then think about how can I pare these down and take away the details? And how can I turn this into an interview question that I can ask in the span of like 45 minutes? And what's cool about that is not only does the candidate feel like you're investing in them and them having an interesting experience as much as they're investing in you, having some value symmetry where both sides are putting in. But if it's a good question, it'll actually stick in the candidate's head afterwards and they'll think, hey, like I would love to do something like that every day. And that is really one of the best selling points you can have. Okay, so Nora and Aileen may have persuaded you of the value of a structured and well thought out interview process, but what does one of those actually look like? We spoke to Jan Fiegel, who heads up Talent and Sidewalk Labs, an urban innovation company that's part of Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. Here's Jan on the framework that Sidewalk Labs uses to make all of its hires, no matter the function or level of seniority. What we landed on are really four different dimensions that we think describe what it takes to be successful at Sidewalk, regardless of what work you're doing. And, and let me take you through those real quick. First dimension, we call experience and expertise. That's really about understanding somebody's past. What have they done? What do they know? What are the experience that they've had? And that's important because of course, we are all, you know, if you will, a bit of a product of our history. Yet that's not, doesn't explain everything. We know particularly when we look through the lens of equity, inclusion, diversity, we know that if we're trying to fill jobs that don't necessarily exist otherwise, and we want to give people opportunities, even if they don't have the quote unquote perfect background for it, we need something else. So the second dimension we refer to as role-related problem solving. This is again about understanding somebody's potential to succeed in the role, but using demonstration rather than their history and their past to assess it. So here we lean on role plays and case studies and anything that is really about engaging in the substance and really the format or the model of the work. 
So with those first two dimensions, we've described individual performance and capacity. Now, nothing in an organization gets done in isolation, which is why our third dimension is what we call working with others. This is where, depending on the level and again, the role, you look at collaboration, people management skills, influencing without authority, communication, collaboration. These are all themes that go into working with others successfully. And then the fourth dimension is called fourth dimension because we couldn't come up with a better title. And in physics, the fourth dimension is time. And we want to understand how somebody will do over time. And so this is where you're getting into values, into mission alignment, into are they aligned with what the opportunity really is or are they not? And so we found that those four dimensions are giving us a framework that can stay consistent and yet can actually still allow us to tailor what the actual interview is and to a specific role. That's really helpful to hear, you know, exactly which attributes your hiring process looks to identify. What is the process then for finding the people that have those attributes? So it's not about anchoring on a title, but actually thinking about what is the role that I need? What is the work that I need to get done? What does success look like? And I'll just attach here something that I think is also breaking with a dogma, which is really around how, how we write job descriptions. You know, we are all taught to write job descriptions centered on responsibilities and skills. And I think that's very much too vague and often misleading. Responsibilities for my role, you might say, uh, you will be responsible for you know, the recruiting function of Cyborg Labs. That's objectively true. It also means very little if you don't understand the organization from the inside versus thinking about deliverables, saying by the end of the year, you need to have hired 50 people that probably represent 12 different industries and 14 different functions within those industries. That starts to become a lot more tangible. And of course, yes, I will be responsible for the recruiting department in the meantime, but we have really found that trying to be specific, much as we do company planning with you know, different companies using different tools, but OKRs have become quite on vogue and, and have been a useful tool. OKRs stands for Objectives and Key Results, a performance management tool used to set, communicate, and monitor goals. And it's very much the same thinking. What is the work to be done? And then let's work backward from that. And how do those interviews work? Trusting instinct, trusting gut, feels very comfortable, it's very intuitive, but isn't, again, predictive of actual performance of, of actual fit to a role, which is why we want to introduce thought and forethought and intent. And that's really the most basic idea of structured interviewing. And I, and I would say something else. Structured interviewing you know, is fundamentally about being explicit about the objectives, thinking ahead, planning ahead, and then using developing a system that we use consistently. The standard talking point is, you know, what I think you will find with, with most everybody. You have a screen at the very front end. For us, that's usually a recruiter screen. And that's where you check general credibility of the candidate and some logistical factors. Are they available on the timeline that we would need them for? Do compensation expectations align? Does location work? You know, any, any of those pieces and trying to get a general sense for the person and what they might be capable of. And that's then followed typically by a hiring manager screen that is really about going deeper into trying to gauge their technical and skill capabilities, as well as understanding their background more deeply so we get a bit more of a fuller picture. Then we move 
to what in an old world would have been called the on-site round. Now we do not do on-site at the moment. We do it all virtually. And that is really driven then by our four dimensions where our default and our starting point is one interview per dimension. So you would have one 45 minute deep dive on somebody's past. That's one interview. The second interview then is typically, as I mentioned earlier, a case study, a role play, really something that allows us to engage in doing the substance and the mode of actually doing the role. The third is about working with others. The fourth is about you know, the fourth dimension. And that usually gives us a pretty comprehensive picture. Do you have any advice for a founder who wants to set up a process like the one that you have, but you know they don't feel like they have the time to do it? Remember that if you're running and building a business, your strategy, your structure, your culture, your execution, it all ultimately gets done by people. And so you probably want to make sure you have treated this as a strategic initiative and applied the same effort and rigor. Thanks so much to Nora, Aileen, and Jan for joining us. To accompany this podcast, we've put together a step-by-step guide to developing a structured and inclusive interview process. Find it at MailChimp.com courier. For now, here's Duncan to summarize the key takeaways from today's show. Number one, no matter how small your business, there is value in having an established interview process that you've prepared and thought through in advance. Number two, start by making sure you have a clear role profile and know exactly what you're looking to hire for. Number three, use structured interviews where you ask everyone the same questions and incorporate questions that focus on the work they'll do in the role. And number four, your interview process plays an important part in how you're perceived as a brand and it can help you win talent even when you're up against larger companies offering more compensation. That's it for today. If you have any questions or feedback for us, get in touch at workshop at couriermedia.co. We'll be back with more workshop in two weeks. See you then.